0: Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Elb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Our guest is Ksenia Yudema. The founder and CEO of Unest, the first mobile app that makes it easier than ever for parents to open a simple and affordable tax-advantaged investment account for their kids. Ksenia has a pretty fascinating story. We talk about how she immigrated to the U.S., transitioned careers from real estate to finance, as well as how she realized a lot of new parents are very motivated to invest in their kids but don't really know where to go. There wasn't really an easy way to do it. So without further ado, here she is. Kazenia, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Mike.
0: I really appreciate you coming on the show. So I know you moved to the United States when you were 18. What brought you to the US and what was kind of your first like American experience?
1: Yeah, so like I was a student and the idea was to come to the United States to work for three months during the summer at some, you know, like lower paid jobs like McDonald's and what have you. And then the idea was that I was supposed to go back. What happened in reality? The first state that I visited was Florida. So my plane landed in Florida. I looked around and I was like, wow, the the weather seems amazing. I love those palm trees and ocean and people are smiling at me. (laughs) And you know, everything is so perfect. So why would I go back to the country that like, you know, like in my hometown, we had like, you know, winter for nine months straight. So it was a very, uh, you know, drastic experience, like weather-wise and just like how people treated me. Obviously, you know, like I was always very focused on education and uh, wanted to build great things in life and wanted to have like successful careers. So, those education opportunities were like super attractive to me. So, I called my parents and I was like, okay, guys, I'm not going back. <laughs> so, I was like, look, I want to give it a try and just uh, build my future uh, in this country.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. And so, you were three months in Florida, right?
1: Two months in Florida, and then I moved to LA.
0: So, why did you move to LA? Why did you come west? I'm in Los Angeles as well. I'm just very curious
1: yeah no absolutely uh, so my first destination was uh Cuba West which uh, you may know like it's a small island in Florida it's not even like Miami not like a, a you know a, a large city and of course like you cannot really go to a like great university you can't like get a good job uh, when you are on the island um, so i do I did have uh, some friends living in LA and they basically said hey like come over check it out uh we're gonna find you you know like the first apartment we want to help you with jobs and I was like okay great like I have some connections the city you know seems great also highlighted that the weather is much better than Florida I wasn't a big fan of humidity so it was just a perfect match I came and I never went back
0: Got it. Well, yeah, I mean, LA um, and California, if you're not a fan of humidity, I'm also, so I'm, I'm from the East Coast, or from Washington, DC, and it gets uh, quite humid there. So uh, it's nice to uh, be in a place that doesn't have that humidity, um, even though I, I also love the East Coast. So you were attending Cal State Northridge, is that right? That's right. Well, undergrad. One of your first exposures into business was in real estate, is that right?
1: That's right. So my first job was actually at a mortgage company. My first real job was at a mortgage company uh, in LA, and of course, I was lucky to join in 07, right before the financial crisis hit. And but that was a, a great learning experience as well. So when I was at mortgage company, I realized that I actually enjoyed the finance part of business more than I like real estate. So I got my you know agent's license. I went to CSUN to get my undergrad in finance but when I graduated in 09 it was like the worst time in history to get a job in finance the industry was like just falling apart and like in New York you know the companies were closing people were losing jobs left and right so I had to kind of pivot back into real estate I got my broker's license and I got um, into that business uh, specializing in distressed properties and I made that my career pivot for the next four years so my my passion still was like in investment management and finance so I had to kind of like find my way back pivot back Uh, and the way I did it is of course through education so I went to UCLA Anderson to get my MBA and in parallel I was pursuing my CFA designation so that was my uh, like a lot of effort uh, to, to make it back to finance but it all you know paid off
0: after you got your cfa certificate did you then work in corporate finance for a while or when did you think about having like the entrepreneurial bug
1: while i was at, at anderson i actually did not even specialize in entrepreneurship like i didn't uh, take any classes on like you know venture capital or business plan development kind of skipped it all because i was thinking that my dream is to just get like a you know, corporate job and to build a successful career like um, on that side of things and post-Anderson, I ended up at Capital Group, which is a parent company of American funds that manages like, you know, over $2 trillion right now. Again, like, you know, one of the dream jobs after business school. So I ended up there. I spent four wonderful years uh, working on the private wealth side of things, just helping you know wealth individuals with financial planning, wealth strategy analysis, asset allocation, all of that, and finished my CFA uh, when I was at Capital Group. And then the way I transitioned uh, to <laughs> entrepreneurship and decided to pursue this new journey, just based on a lot of things that I observed in the industry as insider, and being on the youngest side of financial advisors, like a lot of things just became very clear to me that like large institutions so first of all, they are not great innovators. Like large, large, financial institutions, like they're moving like very slowly. No matter how wonderful they are, it's it's hard to innovate. I was trying to work like on a lot of projects, and every project would take me like a year, like two years to bring to life. So then I started like observing like a lot of interesting things, you know, at capital. So first, I realized that hey, like number one priority for all of our clients was investing for their children, right? So all conversations were always about you know, college savings plans, custodial accounts, trust. So it was never about their retirement or like the brokerage accounts. The second thing I realized is that a lot of my own friends who graduate from top schools like in, like UCLA <laughs> with a lot of like student debt they reached out to me asking for a quick and easy way to get started with investment accounts for children. They did not react well uh, when I introduced this, you know, 16 pages long financial application from American funds. Uh, and I was like, look, this is one of the best 529 plans in the industry. Just go fill out this paperwork. I'll help you uh, on the back end. Yeah. And just realize that's not really how this new generation of parents, of investors doing things. A lot of feedback I got was, Hey, like we all are mobile. We use Robinhood, we use Venmo, like Mint, like you name it, right? Like all those uh, mobile applications to manage all financial aspects of their lives. And when I looked around, I realized, well, there is nothing like mobile-based technology enabled, you know, for parents to invest and save for the children's future. So huge opportunity. There is a lot of demand. It's one of the biggest pain points for the consumers, and. At the same time, 70% of people in this country don't even know that those accounts exist, you know, custodial accounts, 529s. So huge unawareness, uh, financial literacy is super low. But in my mind, it presented a huge opportunity to build something with technology.
0: Why did you even want to take the relief? As you know, entrepreneurship, it's pretty, pretty tough, pretty hard things to do. What was that moment like when you realized entrepreneurship was the actual avenue for me?
1: Yeah, so I, I did like a couple of things when I was going through this like decision making process, whether I stayed capital versus pursue this new journey. I basically started with spreadsheet of all pros and cons for both opportunities. And I realized that pros of Taking a chance and, and try to build it, the pros outnumbered cons. And then for every kind of like disadvantage or con, I was trying to come up with a hedge. <laughs> so again, like being like very analytical, I was, okay, what if it doesn't work out? Like what's the worst case like that can happen with me okay I can can go back to uh, the corporate because now no one's going to take away my credentials my education my my experience like all of that and can I sustain to live like on a very low base salary for the next you know year or two yes I can because I have like you know safety net I have a husband who is uh, very supportive of this so at the end of the day like what I decided to myself is that if I don't give it a try I'm going to regret all my life, right? And I'm still young to recover from any type of failure, right? So that was my thinking. But opportunity was just too big, you know, and too exciting for me to pass on it.
0: I love the reason why you wanted to explore and, and it obviously became an entrepreneur. How did you think about UNES in that capacity when you were starting to figure out, okay, maybe there's a new way to distribute these financial products through mobile
1: apps? Yeah, so there was like a lot that I already had, right? Uh, the, the expertise on, on the business front, where I was able to do like a lot of competitive analysis and just like analytically think about market opportunity, all, all of that. And of course, having, you know, finance background, the domain expertise was super necessary. But to your point, I wasn't a technical person. And I I realized that I would need to partner with someone on the technical front uh, to help me just, you know, bring it to life and leverage digital marketing channels to make the solution super scalable and accessible uh, to like, you know, wide population of, of people so the way I uh, approached this is I actually started going to a lot of networking events and just hanging out with people in tech community and telling them about you know my idea and mission and the problem I'm trying to solve so like the cool thing was that I found like the, the idea resonated with a lot of people they love the mission they love the opportunity to solve this huge problem a lot of people related because they had student loans or they had kids and they were like oh wow like you're building something great so that gave me like a lot of encouragement. And then, uh, you know, that network led me to uh, finding my CTO. You know, first he became a tech tech advisor, Steve Buchanan. He had experience on both like startups and also uh, large corporations. Uh, He knew a lot about how to build uh, fintech architecture. Uh, And, you know, obviously at the beginning I couldn't pay him any salary because I was still like bootstrapped and uh, in the very early stages. So he became an advisor for equity and uh, like a little bit of cash. And once we secured the first round of capital, he jumped on board in a full time CTO position. And pretty much the same thing happened on the marketing front. I realized that hey, like I need someone with a great track record in fintech uh, who knows how to bring fintech solutions to market. So first, I got uh, in touch with per- Peter Mansfield, was known in LA as a fintech expert. He was actually the second guy in the company called Marqueta, which, as you know, like just uh, went IPO last year, uh, and he had a, you know a series of successful fintech exits. So someone recommended. I think few people recommended <laughs> for me to talk to Peter. We connected. He loved the mission. He had three kids that he had to put through college. So he totally recognized the problem I'm solving. So he jumped on board and helped me with the go-to-market strategy and helped with the first round of funding. And then, like, at the time we were closing the seed round, the last person who kind of joined the core executive team was Mike Van Campen. So he came from Acorns, and he was in charge of... Uh, User acquisition and growth at Acorns. So uh, he became our first COO and head of growth, and he knew everything about digital marketing channels. He brought that expertise to the team.
0: Walk me through what data points you had as proof points to investors that this is a large market. There is very much a need for this market. This is solving a real pain since you were still in beta.
1: Definitely, like, you know, uh, showcasing that. We already built something that's working and for the investors have uh, been able to test it and create accounts for their kids. And b- by the way, the investors that decided to put a check in the company, uh, they all were parents, right? So like, first of all, the idea like really resonated with them because they, they had kids. Second, like we already had thousand users on this iOS beta version and we Knew the unit economics, right? We were talking very confidently about our user acquisition numbers, our LTV. Uh, we could predict. So basically, the idea was like, if we can get this uh, first round of capital, we can ext- extrapolate it and you know achieve explosive growth because we already know that demand is there, market is there, people you know really craving for this kind of solution, and we already proved that unit economics work.
0: Got it. No, no, that's helpful. And so, you already had like early adopters um, when you were pitching to investors um, that were using the beta version of the app. I mean, even just like backing up one bit more, how were you able to get early adopters to even to come on the app, interact with the app, and obviously sell them financial products?
1: Yeah, so the early adopters came uh, primarily from three sources. Uh, first was my UCLA Anderson network. So I reached out to uh, the mailing list and got some early adopters there. That was like, very easy. Again, like a lot of people who have student debt and have kids, you know, solution resonates. We also went to some social media, like Facebook groups where parents talked about kids and, uh, you know, asked for the beta testers there. Uh, and just organically, you know, through the app. Right, you can you know bid on some search terms in the app store to attract people who are interested in the solution.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the monetization model. How do you make money? And did you start charging like day one?
1: So we made solution uh, pretty much free for the first you know cohort of beta users, and then when we like you know went public, it was paid version they want what's important to understand about like the platform and what we're offering to the users is that we offer a few things first is ability to set up you know investment account for kids in five minutes second is ability to get gifts from friends and family into a child's account and third is getting the rewards from our brand partners, every time you make a purchase, right? Like something falls into your Unest account. So for the access to the platform, we charge a subscription fee of $3 per month. So that's like the main way we as a business make money. Another way is through partnerships with the with brands. Because again, like every time when someone opens an account, let's say like you subscribe with like Disney Plus, right? Like we would get a bounty from Disney of like $20 and we would split it with you 50 50. So we would keep some of this monetization and, and some of this will fall into the child's account. Uh, we also just became a broker dealer. And that opens up a lot of uh, additional rev- like revenue streams for us. So again, like super time consuming and expensive uh, process for any fintech company like it took us over 10 months to become broker dealer. But uh, eventually, like, you know, once we launch this new product called Unis Legacy that will allow parents to trade individual stocks and crypto, we will have like additional revenue streams from there. That's
0: amazing. That's amazing. And I'm also impressed with investing in crypto because I mean obviously crypto there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows in in crypto. Has that been a demand from parents for wanting crypto? How accepted is crypto from the parents' point of view in in your mind?
1: One thing that we did last year. Is we sent a survey to the entire user base uh, to understand what parents would like to see more on UNES platform. So it wasn't just a decision that we made like in isolation. And we gave like several options. First was trading individual stocks and crypto for the child's like in the child's account. Another one was life insurance, then a uh, secured credit card, and different like you know couple other things. And crypto and individual stocks was was number one <laughs> like you know it, it was just like overwhelmingly like high demand from our user base so the second thing like you know realization that if you look at what's going on like in the new cycles in like in, in the market we kind of realized that hey like in 2021 crypto reached the mainstream adoption i would argue that now like more people heard about crypto versus some like traditional asset classes like mutual funds and ETFs, right? And even having casual conversations with some of my friends who are old parents, like I just started like, you know, doing it uh, like an exercise. Like I started asking them at the dinner table, hey, if you could buy a stock yeah, like, and hold it in your child's account for the next ten years, what type of stock would it be? And their response is like we wouldn't buy stock, we would buy crypto, right? Because again what is the asset class that is perceived by public right now as the asset class that has the greatest potential to appreciate in the next 10, 15, 20 years? So a lot of parents think that it's cryptocurrency versus uh, stocks or bonds.
0: That's fascinating. And of course, like these accounts too are designed to pay for or contribute to uh, kids' education, right? college um, education. How do you also think about the future of education because things are are changing. Maybe in you know eighteen years or so, kids might not be going to college as much, or there might be you know different educational like alternatives. How do you also think about this as um, as a CEO of Unest?
1: You know, it's important to know like the story of the company, right? We launched a solution on five twenty nines, right? So five twenty nine accounts, tax free accounts that are meant just for education, college, or other educational expenses. And in the middle of COVID, we actually made a pivot to a different type of solution called Atma Agma or UTMA that's more flexible. And that pivot was caused by two uh, big drivers. First of all, we realized that trying to build something on the five like twenty nine industry can be pretty complex and challenging because how antiquated the industry is. Like early days, we had to, you know, all the, the apps looked very sleek and easy on the front end. On the back end, we still had to do a lot of things like manually and like faxing things versus you know using APIs and then during covid like this feedback that you just mentioned that hey parents have different priorities for the kids they want more flexibility. They're not sure that kids will even go to college, or like you know, some parents think that maybe like the kids will become influencers or prioritizing buying the first house. That feedback was just overwhelming. So what we decided to do is to introduce this other account type, and we switched all of our users into this new account type, which is also an investment account. Also tax-advantaged, and tax advantages are pretty equivalent to 529s, but it provides much more flexibility in what you can save and invest for. So you're not getting penalized if for some reason you don't spend the money on college or educational expenses compared to 529. And also, to to your earlier point, I'll just highlight that 529 is also pretty restrictive in um, selection of investment options. So you can pretty much invest only in mutual funds and ETFs, Versus in uh, a UTMA or Atma Agma account, you have more flexibility. You can actually invest in alternative investments, you can invest in something like crypto, uh, and then you, you can buy individual stocks.
0: That's fascinating. And in 529, the money, um, when you pull out the money, it has to go towards education, is that right?
1: That's right. You get this tax-free growth Right at the expense of if you don't use it for college or you don't use it for education, you lose all tax advantages and you're actually penalized by 10% on the earnings portion. And that's basically a government's way to prevent you from using money on something else, similar to what they do on retirement plans. So they're very restrictive.
0: What are some other parts of your business that were effective either positively or negatively due to COVID?
1: Yeah. Uh, overall, COVID was a positive for the company. One thing that was interesting is that we had a board meeting uh, right before COVID hit, where we showed uh, the board our like you know exponential growth after the tradition to UTMA, and we were like very uh, you know excited about um, going to the market to raise our Series A. And uh, pretty much, you know, the, next, the very next week, uh, the world shut down. We could not go to, um, you know, to the Bay Area, to uh, East Coast to meet with those investors that were very interested in meeting us. So we had to kind of pivot in our fundraising strategy. And the cool thing is that Anthos Capital led our Series A round. They already put like a small check in our seed round, so they knew the company, they, they, they knew our progress, and they were just like very excited to put more money and become, you know, a lead investor. The cool thing is that you know uh, Anthos is LA based, and uh, Unest is probably like the only LA based portfolio company for them right now. So we have like a very like family type of uh, relationship. So that was a pivot. And another interesting thing that that happened during COVID, again, at first you don't understand how you're gonna hire like all these people, right? Like build culture because uh, you're like pretty small company. You're growing fast. I uh, just raised, you know, uh, the the new round of capital. You need to deploy it, and you need to hire like you know talent, and you need to find new people. How do you do it? But what we also realized is that. Covid gave us an amazing opportunity to hire outside of LA and outside of California, and get access to amazing talent from Utah, Colorado, and even other countries uh, by transitioning, you know, the entire operations to remote, you know, to remote uh, work environment.
0: What is your approach to customer acquisition strategy since now you have a fresh pot of funding and looking to grow?
1: Yeah, so um, about forty percent of this round uh, is uh, meant for like marketing, and uh, on the marketing front, we are uh, doing several things. So paid user acquisition worked extremely well for the company in the past, and affiliate feel marketing channels. So partnering with other like bloggers and uh, other auditing tags, you know, to share the partnerships there, and of course, like as we mature, we also have more brand presence and more organic growth as well. Um, And another thing that we implemented right now, so after we raised Series B, we brought on board uh, John Walker as a president. So he is serial entrepreneur who launched and exited three companies. He spent about 10 years in venture capital. So he is pretty much spearheading this new product, Uness legacy, which will have the crypto component. And again, like, because there is so much hype and excitement about this crypto component, in addition to growing our user base uh, through those different marketing channels, we also will be launching the waiting list for the crypto product and building like, additional user base through, through that.
0: Nice, nice. What are some other ways that you've been able to learn what products or or even even what features? Because I love this idea that you mentioned and also been able to execute on where you're taking what customers want and then you're producing products for customers. Are there any other examples that you have where you've been able to do this?
1: Yes. Yeah, so actually, our Unest Rewards engine, uh, which you know, like I, I just uh, mentioned, the partnerships with uh, 120 brands also gives us a lot of insight and data about what customers really use and what, you know, like what they want. So I would highlight that one of the most successful partnerships so far was with life insurance companies. And I, I guess like it's also like no brainer because there is a lot of overlap when you become a parent, two things you automatically think about is I need an investment account for my ch- for my child, a college savings account. And I need life insurance because what if something happens to me? So a lot of overlap and uh, huge popularity on the platform for those uh, type of products. So again, like as we think, okay, what is that next thing we want to build or who do we want to partner with? We're trying to kind of double down on what already works on Unest Rewards.
0: What are you looking to accomplish in 2022 and beyond? I'd love to learn more about, about the vision of, for Unest
1: Oh, absolutely. So for 2022, I would say that definitely the digital assets will become like you know one of the main focuses for the company. so not only the crypto that we already like talked about, but also like how can we explore NFTs for example, to allow friends and family you know instead of just gifting cash into the child's account you know gift NFTs or how do we explore some staking and yield uh, from uh, cryptocurrencies to make like more rewards and like make uh, create more opportunities for parents? To easily grow that investment account for their child, so definitely for twenty twenty two, that becomes a big focus for the company. And another big focus, is ESG portfolios, which we will launch pretty soon. So again, like you know, our uh, audience consists of millennials who are very environmentally <laughs> conscious and like you know, they want to invest into things that matter to them. So again, like we've heard the feedback from the market, we've heard trends in the market, and we'll be launching a set of. ESG uh, portfolios this year as well. And for the future, so one thing that kind of excites me about the solution and what we're building is uh, the opportunities are like limitless in terms of where we can go next. So we definitely have plans for international expansion and we want to build global product because from what we learned, um, currently there is nothing like this exists in Asia or Europe. (laughs) Right. And typically, uh, companies or startups in Asia and Europe, they try to copy with something that's been already successful in the United States. So, for example, a lot of companies are building new banks uh, or they're building Hood 2.0 versus, you know, like we have this mission of like regardless of economic background, geography, religion, race, like, you know, all parents supposed to have an easy way to save and invest for the kids' future. Where can we go with the solution? Any country.
0: Amazing, amazing. That's a very grand mission. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally?
1: If I talk about uh, the startup related books, I really enjoyed uh, the book called From Zero to One. And uh, most recently, Art Thing About Hard Things. Probably like one of my favorites. I have like a lot of quotes from that book, it, 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 it totally resonated with me. Another one is Art of the Start. And I'm sorry, like I'm quoting too many books, probably like <laughs> to startups uh, versus like me personally. On the personal front, uh, just because I love reading about investing and I admire a couple, you know, people in that space. So one being Warren Buffett and another one is Howard Mark, founder of Oak Tree Capital. So loved the book that uh, he's written a few years ago called The Most Important Thing.
0: Amazing! Amazing! That's awesome. Really excited to add these to our book list. This is great. My final question for you is: What's one piece of advice that you have for founders?
1: I would say, like one piece of advice I, I give at any point of your startup journey, of your entrepreneurial journey, is just do not quit and be persistent. Because a startup is a set of like challenges, unlimited challenges, and you'll face obstacles, especially the seed round. But you know, I believe that any outcome, especially for the first time founder is is okay outcome you know whether it's partnership or exit or you know uh, acquisition by another company what's not okay is not trying to push through uh, to see what's on the other side and persistent definitely makes uh, a big difference for startup founders.
0: I totally agree. Ksenia, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today
1: No thank you so much Mike for, for inviting yeah I really enjoyed the conversation enjoyed the dialogue.
0: And there you have it. It was so amazing chatting with Ksenia and I really enjoyed hearing her story. I hope you all enjoyed it as well. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcast. You're also welcome to follow me, your host Mike, on Twitter at mikegelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.